1: We are so excited to be back here this week with our Next Generation Family Series Edition Part 2. Yay! So this week, we are so excited to be discussing the rest of our Next Generation characters that we did not get to talk about last week. And those characters are the wonderful android Data, the marvelous Dura sisters, Keiko and Orion, and famous Klingon War. Of course. I <laughs> can't, can't Warf. miss out on Worf. We decided because both Worf and O'Brien and Keiko will be transitioning with us into Deep Space Nine that it would be great to end on the two of them. So that then when we do our Deep Space Nine episode next week, we, you will hear about these characters again, but through the lens of the new series, Deep Space Nine. So we're very excited for that. We are
0: just beautifully gliding you from episode to episode, so you were primed and ready to have the full knowledge about Worf's family <laughs> and the <Leo> O'Briens. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, Ashlyn, I thought today we could start off with a quote. How do you sure. feel about that? Yeah, that sounds great. Cool. I know that in our episode we often quote a lot of people, but I thought this one was an important one to start with. It is from the episode Data's Day. Okay. Data says this. He says, I find Lieutenant Worf to be what is called a kindred spirit. We were both orphans rescued by Starfleet officers. In many ways, we are both still outsiders in human society.
0: I also wrote that quote down when I saw this episode, because it perfectly summarizes our wonderful men here, our third and fourth in command.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I thought it was a great way to introduce these characters we're going to be talking about today and some of the struggles they go through finding family and their already existing families. So we are going to be starting today talking about Mr. Data. And I thought that we could start at the very beginning of the first episode where we meet Lore. The beginning is a wonderful place to start. Yeah, thank you. I agree. So this episode, Data Lore, discusses the interesting villain that we encounter named Lore, which is Data's devil, his literal evil twin. And we first learn that Data is going back to his home planet, the planet where he was discovered by Starfleet officers and the planet that he has vague memories of the colonists who used to live there of where he was potentially created. There's a lot of mystery surrounding this planet because he doesn't have very many of their memories, only like vague inclinations. And so the crew is asking him like, oh, do you remember any of this? And Data's pretty much like, I have no memories. And I just wonder what that would feel like to have no memories fond or not of your home and no memories of your family that aren't even bad memories. They're just non-existent. I think that would be a really confusing place to start out your life. And I know that Data is an android and like his life starts in a different place than biological creatures. But I just thought that Data's journey to me feels more like a discovery of family. And he discovers it in many places. In this episode, we see him discover more information about Noonie and Soon, who created him, and then about his brother, Lore. But I think also it's about a discovery of where family comes from and what home really is. Because how can you call something a home if you don't have any memories of it? So I just wondered what you thought about that.
0: What a great way to start out this conversation. And my answer to you is data join starfleet because yeah. those are the people that found him immediately after he's awakened for the first time and i'm sure that he had a maybe kind of a childish perspective at that point even though he's not really a child and he is you know a fully adult android i feel like as children and what data did is he really admires these brave officers who came to the planet and woke him up and put him together and Mm -hmm. well i guess he was already together but who reactivated him woke him up And of course, they will be a guiding light to him for the rest of his life. And we talk about in later episodes when Data creates his daughter, he intended for her to join Starfleet because he wanted to give something back. And so I think that he's enamored and in love with these Starfleet officers the first time when he opens his eyes. (laughs) One thing about Data's family and timeline that always cracks me up is there's always more Soons. No matter where you go, no matter what season you're in, what series you're in, oh, there's a brother, there's a mother, there's an aunt, there's an uncle. <laughs> he was making androids out the wazoo. He was going crazy <laughs> in his life, and I I, yeah. was, I just want to briefly address that all of these thoughts are, of course, sparking ideas in Star Trek Picard that we could be talking about, but we are not in this podcast because we're only trying to focus on the next generations. But we will do a really deep dive in the Picard episode uh, coming up in... Oh, a couple weeks. <laughs> a couple weeks, <laughs>
1: a few weeks from now. Maybe like five weeks. <laughs> It'll be a little bit, but
0: we have a lot to talk about in that. And so Ryan and I are going to really just try to hold back and not talk about Picard because obviously there's a ton of places to bring it up, but we're not. Right. Yeah. So, I have read different books about people, mostly fictionalized books about people who have an accident in high school and then they lose all of their memories and that mm-hmm. is a Probably more complex situation because then they're going back to school and they make totally different friends because they have no memory of anything. But for Data, he has nothing. He is a completely blank slate. And I know he doesn't have emotions, but to me, that would be terrifying And Mm -hmm. I think it is so lucky that Starfleet woke him up because they have such an organized group of people and it's easy to fall into a routine with Starfleet. And so I can see why it's really appealing to Data, who's coming from total chaos and he has no idea what's going on, to be able to do science and to maximize his functions as much as he wants. Starfleet is the perfect place for him.
1: Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned that because we are finding that a lot of our characters did reach out to Starfleet to find a home when they couldn't find one in their given home. And we see this in the original series, like we talked about two episodes ago. And I think that we will see this with Worf as well, as we talk about him later on in this episode. And I love that explanation that Starfleet Really brings out family and like allows people to have a home where they may not have had one before. I agree that this would be very discouraging for someone who has emotions, but I think for Data, it's just a great way to explore his past and explore where he comes from because he is always on this continuous search to be more human. And I think a part of that is family, a part of that is having a family. He may not be technically blood related, but same wiring, same mechanics. It's the same kind of idea, you know, and I I think his
0: facial structure, you know, he's modeled after his father.
1: Exactly. So I think that when they find this underground base on the planet, they don't find any colonists, they don't find anything else but this base, and a disassembled android that looks a lot like data, I think that I would definitely put that thing together too, and hope that it was someone like me to relate to, because I think that as much as Data wants to be human, he also just wants someone to understand him, as no one else really can in the same capacity. Jordy certainly does a great crack at it, and he is truly one of Data's like greatest friends and understands him in a way that I think other people don't. But at the same time, Jordy's not an android. You know, it's hard to have that complete experience unless you're with family. I even said this last time, but like. Ashlyn understands me in a way that other people don't, just because we've literally have, we have a lot of shared experiences, we grew up in the same houses, all of that. And so I think that family does have that extra layer of just like fully knowing a person. And Data's been seeking that, I think, even if it's sort of an unconscious desire of his
0: I totally agree. I'm thinking about what you're talking about reminds me. Beverly Crusher says to Data when he's trying to raise Lowell, he goes to her for advice as a, quote, successful parent, which is so cute because Crusher's like, well, I tried to be. (laughs) And she tells Data because Lowell is having trouble relating to the other children because she's realizing that she's different. And mm-hmm. Crusher just tells Data, just be there for her. Just remind her that you went through the same thing and act as her guide. Because as you said, Data had no guide for any of this. Well, I think it's probably good that he doesn't have memories of passing into his a- ascensions. <laughs> because that yeah. seemed like a very stressful and emotional time for Lowell. Even though Data does mention in that episode, it's a tricky time. So maybe he does mm-hmm. have memories of it. But I just really feel for him in a way that he can't feel for himself. <laughs>
1: Yes. Well, and to go off of that, so in the episode Inheritance, when Data discovers that he has someone who's calling herself his mother and he's learning to bond with Juliana, when we discover that she is actually a very sophisticated android as well, Data is trying to figure out if he should tell her or not. And he does even mention at one point that I am find I'm having difficulty separating what would be best for her from what would be best for me because he simply wants someone to share his experience with. And he knows that someone who's already acting motherly to him and is an Android who's very sophisticated has even more, human abilities than he does would be just an incredible find and something he's been searching for for so long. And I think that is truly a lot of data's cores. It's not just becoming human, but it's just for someone to understand his experience totally and completely. And it seems as as though with his family members, he keeps getting close, but he's having those dreams ripped away from him, whether it's with Lal's death, or if it's from deciding not to tell his mother or just the whole mess that is lore. (laughs) You know, I think that he keeps coming so close to these bonds, but can't Really find them with his family.
0: I totally agree. And I think that episode is a great one to watch because the whole time Data is experiencing what it's like to really be a son for the first time for an extended period. He saw Noonian for like 20 minutes and then he died. He hasn't really had this experience to be mothered or Mm. to be bragged about by his mom or go through anything that she's doing. She's being just the classic mom he does some calculations and she's just clapping and she's like oh, i'm so proud uh yeah. she calls his playing beautiful even though everyone else says mm-hmm. it's very robotic <laughs> and so i think that choice for him at the end of the episode is even harder because he knows exactly what he's giving up yeah she will still be in his life which who knows we don't see her again but i can imagine there's probably some books where they have uh, some coffee or something together <laughs> But I think it's just a really tough decision for him to make. And do you think he made the right choice, Rihanna? Do you think she should have known that she was an android?
1: So this made me pretty furious that we had a bunch of men dictating what should happen with a woman's future and a woman's body. Yet again, I was not happy about this. I thought that what Crusher said as advice to Data was really good. She said... I would rather be told by my son than some random stranger, you know, definitely. I'd rather be told by a family member that I was an android all these years. I thought I was a human. (laughs) That's a pretty big bomb My worst nightmare. Yeah. (laughs) That is huge news. And I think that someone whose life that you care about and you want them to be happiest, I think that that is not a good choice of just sort of coddling them in a way of saying, oh, I'm doing what is best for them because you're automatically taking that decision away from them. And I think that we see it a lot of time with women that very common trope in a lot of TV shows as well that the parents are just trying to protect their daughter from the world. I just want her to be happy. But like, I think someone can still learn to be happy with the life they have, but they should be able to decide that on their own. And I just thought it was a really dicey and Not a very great thing to do. And I'm surprised that like Beverly didn't step in, but I guess it's not Beverly's place either. It was just a lot. What did you think about that?
0: Yeah, I was actually mad for a different reason. I was angry because Soon created her only because she died and he was alone on the planet. Because at that point, Data was gone. He was totally alone after she died. And I think it's a little creepy that he kind of made a marital robot right yeah he created a being her purpose was to be his wife and that Mm. is I just I just feel weird about that that is not why you should be creating a life that just creeped me out and I did not like that at all and we know soon is weird anyway yeah got some got some problems but I thought that was especially disturbing that he decided to create that because she has no choice and she did leave him which was which was good and i also agree with you that i think she should have known that she was an android also because wouldn't that have shown her that soon really did care about her and love her right because he made a complete replica of her he couldn't even stand living without her in his life you know right and so I feel like it would answer a lot of questions for her because don't you think she's been going in her life and thinking or noticing things about her behavior and hmm, yeah that's strange I feel so sad that she's robbed of this answer and I too am surprised by the reaction of the crew that they didn't step in
1: but like you said it's not their place I really agree I'm glad you brought up that other point that's just as creepy and horrible Soon had like described that he designed her to shut down in the event that the truth was discovered, which is even more malicious because it's showing deliberately that he didn't want her to know. And so then it's further taking away her autonomy and just making her the wife and nothing else beyond that like no wonder she left him i agree even without knowing that just a lot of red flags i also i thought i was gonna like that
0: last hologram scene with soon and data because i liked the jack and yeah Walt's pressure scenes so much in the holodeck <laughs> I, I thought i get a similarly touching scene but all i got was creepy soon being creepy And then him asking his son to continue the lie down into the next generation. Ha ha. I did not mean to do that. Yeah. And we're going to talk about this a lot with Worf. A A theme that I really like that they put into so many of these episodes is raise the kids to be smarter than the adults and give them the tools to better equip themselves for the future they're in and for the emotional, social wellness that they're in. We see in school, the teachers are really focused on both academic and social achievements. Uh And I love that Star Trek is always promoting trying to raise a generation better than the one that we have. And so to see soon telling Data, keep it a lie, don't tell her, let her live out her life. Also, that also implies that she's already old which i wasn't sure how oh, old she yeah. was because in that episode with soon he looked real bad he looked, <laughs> awful. he looked very very old and so i wonder if she is aging slower because she's an android or i know she has aging capabilities so i also wonder if maybe he just married her really young i don't know but I don't like soon that much, as is probably the case with a lot of really, really brilliant people. Once you meet them, they're kind of maybe slime balls. I don't, I don't yeah. know. I don't know if that's true. It seems to be the case a lot. <laughs> don't meet your heroes, you know.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was wondering if since we are discussing future generations of offspring, if we could discuss the offspring. Yes, please. This is a very important question that I wish to ask you Mm -hmm. that fits perfectly into this moment, because you had said that passing down the line is important to improve future generations. And actually, Data has a line in the offspring that he's essentially asking, but isn't the goal of a parent to improve upon themselves. And I wondered what you thought about that and what you think the goal of a parent is or if there should be a goal.
0: Man, I've been having way too many lonely days in my room during the pandemic thinking about existence. And this has (laughs) crossed my mind a couple of times. (laughs) I agree with Data. I think if you choose to bring kids into this world, you should try to make them better than you are. But there's so many fallacies that come with that idea because you don't want to put too much pressure on your kids to be better than you are because then they'll resist and rebel. You want to instill them with the qualities that'll give them a productive and rich life and hopefully a happy life. It's tricky, too, because the point is to reproduce The human population, and to just keep making children and keep making humans so we never die out. And so (laughs) we can't fully describe the need that we have for wanting children and to bring them into the world because it's genetic. We can't Mm -hmm. stop it. I mean, we can stop it. Obviously, if you choose not to have kids, like, then, you know, that's fine. But for me, I feel that call every once in a while. You have that baby clock is ticking away. And when I see some cute, baby shoes, Hmm, man, I kind of want to have a baby, you know, <laughs> even though I have no money. It's a tricky question because I do think that having a baby is inherently selfish, but also it's the most selfless thing you can ever do. There's definitely memes I've seen that's like, oh, is the point of having kids really just to raise them and then have them be in this capitalist society to raise money for Walmart? You know, is that really what we're doing? Exactly. Yikes. <laughs> I think if you just take the question in its pure form, yes, I agree with Data, and you should always strive to better yourself, but you cannot always do that in every situation. If you're looking at it from Data's point of view, where he's in a very secure location on the enterprise, where he has every tool at his disposal to give Lull the best life possible, that's great for Data. He is ready to be a father. There's so many different ways to raise a family, but... It's such a complicated...
1: I know. I just threw that question at you. No, it's
0: good. I also think that your situation changes if you're a parent who doesn't have everything that they could possibly need, which is most of us, Mm and that's most of the world. And so at that point, you still have a kid to improve upon yourself and to make the world a little lighter and to make your corner of the world better for you. There's just something about family. I don't know. Do you agree with Data that having children means improving upon yourself?
1: I agree that that's why a lot of people do it, but I don't agree that that should be the reason why you do it. I don't want kids, so I'm not the best person to ask. I'm not anti-kids for any circumstance. I love children. I just don't want any of my own because I didn't have the drive like Data did. I mean, he was like, I wanted to create life. I think because data was asking this question of like, is this what parenting is about? Because he's read what a million parenting books in a million different cultures trying to figure out how best to raise lol. And I think that honestly, what if the child improves in a different way that is not like yourself? You know, I think that that adds too many constraints to how the child should be. Versus how they turn out to be. I mean, of course, improving upon yourself could mean a lot of things about ambitions or emotional attitude, or you want them to be more well rounded. You know, there's so many things, but I think going into having a child with that desire to just improve yourself, I think it has to be more than that, you know? And I don't think that at the core, that should be your main goal because otherwise you're just putting a lot of undue pressure on a kid truly, truly, I have such a deep respect for people who want children and people who have children, because I'm too intimidated and don't want to do that, don't want to push a baby out of me. (laughs) And so I think that there's a lot of ways, like Ashlyn said, to have children and to raise children. And I just think that Data's approach of first of all, having the child choose its sex and choose its appearance and choose its identity was really cool. And also, I was very much a fan of Data's parenting style, because I thought that he was good at like encouraging Lol, but at the same time teaching her when she did something wrong. And I think that he wasn't really creating Lol to improve upon himself in the way that he thought he was going to, you know, I think that sometimes kids surprise you like Lal did was she started making contractions and Data's never been able to achieve that. And I think that it can surprise you when your kids are doing these things better than you ever did. And you can be like extremely proud of them. But I think it's just sort of a difference between intentionality versus what actually comes of having a child.
0: I'm with you for that. I didn't take Data's meaning of that question. I didn't take it as literally as you. I, I think I agree with it so much because I've had moments in my life where I have an experience and then I'm reflecting on it and thinking back and I think to myself, I kind of bookmark it and say, this is how I'm going to give advice to someone Mm -hmm. or to my children about the best way to go about this. And I find myself constantly thinking of, how could I have done that better? How could I have taken this shortcut (laughs) to get (laughs) this other way? Or how could I have improved myself in these different ways? I think it's ultimately not about, I'm so great. I want to have two of me. I think it's about, I love this life so much that I want to bring like more teammates into the world, and it's Parks and Rec where oh yeah um, yeah you I find you that. find your teammate, and then once you find them, you realize that you want to make some more tiny teammates, you know, <laughs> to be a part of your
1: team. <laughs> well, I like that a lot better, and I wouldn't say that that is improving on yourself. It's more like... It's improving
0: on the future. And for me, I look at it like I want more kind, considerate people in the world. And so Mm -hmm. if I'm going to be raising children in this world, I want them to be ready for what's out there and to be better than our parents' generation and better than our generation. I want them to change the world like our parents wanted for us and still want for us. It's a very interesting and complicated...
1: (laughs) Oh, for sure. Yeah. Not something that can easily be answered in this um, Star Trek podcast, but I'm glad we took a crack at it because there's so much I love about this episode with Data and Lol and their experiences and interactions together. And it really helped me to learn more about Data and about how he is imparting his knowledge onto Lol because he has learned so much that we don't really see because we assume that Data just came into this world knowing everything, but he has grown so much and he grows every single season. And so the scene, I love when they're talking about why the kids were laughing at Lal and not with her. And Lal asks Data, she says, why do they wish to be unkind? And Data says, because you are different, and differences scare people. And he says, I have learned that some of them use humor to hide their fear. So he's talking about humans in this circumstance. And you have to know that Data has gone through this himself. He's had people laugh at him instead of with him. And he's gone through the same confusion of, why are they laughing at me? And he didn't have a guide to tell him. Like you were saying, Ashlyn, he has this prior knowledge that can help Lol understand it easier. It's just a beautiful scene because it shows his capacity to to care so deeply about another being and to want them to grow with him. I just love that because that's something that I've always really admired about Data's character is that he never stops wanting to learn more and wanting to grow more. And he never just says, oh, I'm done. On paper, he's like the most perfect being to ever exist because he's an android and he's built with all these capabilities and it's really hard to kill him, you know, all these things. But he never sees that in himself. He sees it as... There's things to improve on. And a part of that is he wants to improve his life with Lull and he wants Lull to have an improved life. And yeah, I just loved this episode.
0: I think that of all the souls that I've encountered, his is the most human.
1: (laughs) Wow. Had to bring that one out. Just, you know, we're all having a great time. (laughs) Until then.
0: uh, oh man, not only did I make uh original series people mad,
1: I made next generation people mad, I made yeah. rihanna mad. Yeah, you accomplished it. You made everybody mad in one time. Congratulations. <laughs> Besides actually, that rude fact, what did you actually think about this episode?
0: <laughs> well, I, I thought That I agree with you, what you said maybe like 10 minutes ago about Data's parenting style is excellent. He is mm-hmm. doing so great. And I've also seen memes about the scene where he lets Lul choose her own gender and uh, species. Because mm-hmm. it's like, okay, Star Trek is out here. Like, that's yeah. so woke.
1: I've mm-hmm. been <laughs> um, really thinking about it. Yeah.
0: Trek always. I also love the choices that she came down to. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that scene because mm-hmm. Troy is really into helping her and Data in this episode i love seeing troy just having a bigger role in a lot of these family episodes Mm -hmm.
1: i think that you're right that this is her wheelhouse this is where like she really thrives with negotiating family struggles
0: Yeah, exactly. And it's been really nice to see her in the context of these episodes. So she's helping Lol and Data get along and start their family together. And so I love the scene where Lol is making all her decisions because the choices it comes down to is a Klingon male, an Andorian female, and then a human male and a human female. And for all of these, Troy has these little comments that are kind of giving Lull a general sense of how she's going to feel on the ship. And mm-hmm. as an Andorian female, it would be unusual because there's no Andorian female serving in Starfleet. As a Klingon male, <laughs> you would be a friend for Worf. That's <laughs> <was laughs> Troy's comment. And I had just written in my notes, oh, I love how involved Troy is in this. And then as soon as she said that, I scratched it out and I said, I take it back. <laughs> <laughs> what that's so oh, weird It's kind of racist too you know yeah like, as if if lol's a klingon she's automatically
1: gonna be a friends with Worf? <laughs> i i don't know i, I, just, I feel like Worf would not be about being friends with lol like that it's not his vibe no
0: definitely not his vibe and <laughs> i also thought it was funny when lol turned into a human male troy says oh very attractive no social problems here <laughs> love <laughs> that So going back to Data's parenting style, I love that he is not afraid to ask for help. So when Lowell is having these struggles and her teacher at school is saying we had to move her down a grade to be with the younger students, of course, he doesn't have emotions, so he can't be offended by it. But he takes all the knowledge in his stride and then he seeks out anyone he can ask for help. This goes back to the scene I mentioned with Dr. Crusher earlier. I also just love seeing how enriched the crew are by Lowell's presence in this episode too, because they see how happy Data is, even though he can't be happy, They see how hard he's working to give a good life to Lul, And it makes them all happy to have her aboard too, which I really like. And you can tell just how strong the sense of unity is already, despite the kind of earliness of this episode. I also love the scene with Guinan, where Lul is learning to have better human interactions too, because Guinan is just amazing. And she is the perfect person to go to, (laughs) to have more experience.
1: Truly, I really liked this Guinan scene because... I think that she is someone that a lot of people go to, even subconsciously. Like, she notices that they're standing out looking at the stars forlornly, she comes and helps out. And I think that in this scene, particularly, it takes me back to the quote of how we started this episode about Worf and Data feeling like outsiders. Guinan, too, is an outsider in humanity, but she also knows it so intimately. And so I think that pretty much in any situation, Guinan is the perfect person to go to. And I wonder just how she has experienced family, both aboard the crew and in her own life. but to have such wisdom about it. It's just amazing to have someone like her on the ship.
0: Definitely. And you can see the trust she has in data and the trust that Data has in Guinan because Data leaves his only child with her and she trusts that Lowell is programmed well enough that she's not going to go crazy and try to beat up people in 10 Ford or that she'll be too antisocial. And so I love seeing that trust between them as well. Even when Data's called away, he's just like, bye, and leaves her there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I thought we could talk a bit about how the perception of Data And his family is taken differently depending on the character Mm -hmm. and the situation. Because in these Data episodes that we were exploring surrounding family, there was a plethora of different reactions that certain characters had around the idea of Data having a family Mm -hmm. and being capable of having a family. And in this episode, particularly the offspring, we see this admiral come in and belittle the experience of data being a father and disregarding a lot of what he thinks about family to not include him even though he's the father himself he is essentially trying to separate the two of them separate a family mm. of this two week old creation and separating her from her father and I think that it's highly important in both this scene and in the scene in Inheritance with Data's mother because she reveals that he was left behind on the planet not because there wasn't room in the escape pod but because she couldn't bear to have him there in case they lost him like they lost Lore. Or Um, he
0: turned out like Lore. She was afraid he was
1: gonna be evil. (laughs) Exactly. And that they would have to disassemble him as well. And so Data asked the question, Do you think that if I were your biological son, you would have left me on that planet? And she says, How could you ask me that? And then eventually she says, I definitely would have brought you, essentially. And so I think that a lot of people don't see Data as capable enough. We see another episode where he is told to be the captain of one of the fleet ships that they're taking into the neutral zone, you know, whole other complicated plot, but people don't believe in his captain abilities. They don't believe in so many things that come with these quote unquote human social skills. And I think that it is highly damaging to the ways in which Data sees himself and he interacts with different people because he is always attempting to be human and then constantly being told that he's not capable of these different human acts. And I just think it's a very tough dichotomy to probably navigate each day. And I also wanted to celebrate the ways in which the Enterprise crew defy that. And they stand up and back him up on every scenario, ensuring that he is capable and very good, whether it's being a parent or being a son.
0: Yes, you bring up so many great points. I think about that episode, and I won't talk about it too long since it's not strictly family related, but I think that humans struggle with data because it's a new... Life form that doesn't exist yet, but it's something that's been so fantasized about and talked about and dreamed for and hoped for for so long. I mean, we're only in the year 2020 and there's like a thousand movies about artificial life taking over and androids. And what if Mm -hmm. we could create a robotic human? We're obsessed with this idea and have been for a long time. And so by the time you're in the setting of the next generation, These people are interacting with an artificial human for the first time. And so I think it's a new kind of bias that is similar. I mean, it's, it's xenophobia, it's racism, it's whatever you want to call it. And data is experiencing it all the time. And I think we see a lot more in the early episodes of next generation that people are not used to him yet. And they do laugh at him. Picard interrupts him all the time. The senior staff constantly interrupt him. And yet, He doesn't care. And we even see in Data's day that he has the night shift. And so I was kind of wondering, is Data the captain every night? Because he doesn't have to sleep.
1: and (laughs) I was wondering that too. uh, Is that okay to do? I don't know. Did Data (laughs) want Tyloff to play poker with his holographic friends and paint pictures? Somehow he's extremely
0: well-rounded. I need to have more Data in my life (laughs) to keep (laughs) me as well-rounded as he is. But anyway, so I think Data is being accosted by racism pretty much everywhere he goes. And because he's the only one, it's not like people... Are getting more used to it as he goes. It's only the Enterprise crew. And so, every new planet that he's on, anywhere in the galaxy, there's nobody else like him except Lore. But Lore is not out in public giving speeches and trying to push Android right. Absolutely not. And so, the only people who can really advocate for data are the people on the Enterprise. And there's, of course, the classic episode Measure of a Man where data is given rights because, Mm -hmm. duh, he should have rights.
1: Yeah. Because he's sentient. Mostly, I just I just want to talk a bit about how, especially in The Offspring, that Picard really comes to Data's aid when, in the beginning, he was very skeptical about Lal and saying that Data should have come to him before making this creation, and Data asks point-blank, do other crew members come to you when they are thinking of having a child?
0: Yeah, I love that quote, and of course, Picard is really struggling, because no one comes to him with those kinds of questions.
1: But I'm also impressed by the Admiral. I mean, I think that we see a lot of mean Admirals <laughs> The next generation, especially, they really just whip them out. They're all awful. I don't think I can think of a good admiral in the next generation. But I did appreciate how when the admiral is trying to help Data save Lol, he is visibly shaken by how much effort Data put into trying to save her.
0: So he comes out and we find out that Lol doesn't have much longer to live. And he says to Troy and Jordy and Wesley, who are Data's amazing support staff. Yes. They're
1: all waiting for him. Yeah, Yeah. they're waiting.
0: And he says, his hands were moving faster than I could see, trying to stay ahead of each breakdown. He refused to give up.
1: It was remarkable.
0: you see that he makes a total 180 from his position earlier in the episode.
1: And same with Picard. He says, I'm convinced the damage will be irreparable if they're separated when he's talking about Data and lol. And I just love the support system that Data has within his crew family
0: two of my favorite quotes from picard in that episode happened in the middle where the admiral is really really pushing data to give up lull and asking him over and over again in all these different ways and picard says there are times sir when men of good conscience cannot blindly follow orders and then he continues later order a man to hand a child over to the state not while i'm his captain yes i mean this is why i love picard he just always supports his crew no matter what, and he trusts them, and he's going to do the right thing even if it costs him his career. Every time, yes. Yeah, I want to go back to Data's mom because you brought up earlier about why she didn't take him in the shuttle. She has this whole backstory about how many different prototypes it took Noonien to create Data, who is now perfect. (laughs) And I think, of course, Lore was created before Data. There were a couple other ones. It seemed like a couple other models that just only lived a couple weeks, similar to Lull, or just didn't survive long or could never be activated. And she talks about the struggle of emotionally, you get yourself excited, the the android's here, the baby's here, and then it's taken away from you. And it reminded me so much of parents and women who want children but can't conceive, or it is very, very hard for them to conceive. And I've known people and known families who have had miscarriages very, very late in their pregnancy. And it is just so heart-wrenching because you've prepared everything. You have a crib in the baby's room. The room's all set up. You've told everyone you know that you're pregnant and you're so excited to continue expanding your family. And when when the baby dies, when you lose the baby, it's so, so heartbreaking. And so I was thinking of all of those families who have gone through that while she was talking about all the different failed androids and how she wanted to give up before Noonien decided to create Data. And again, my heart just goes out to families who struggle with that. And I love that Star Trek is here to remind you that you're not alone, that this is a part of life. And it's very, very hard, but you will make it through. And hopefully, you'll have a child as wonderful as Data.
1: <laughs> oh, not be a dream. Yeah, I think that that is a great scene because something else that I really like about Data, especially in his discussions with people, is that because he cannot be offended because he does not have a lot of resentment or guilt attached on to certain things, he can forgive and have an open discussion with people. And so I thought this scene was really beautiful when they talked about this because Data just wanted to know why she left him behind on the planet and wasn't emotionally furious about it. He might have felt what is equivalent to abandonment. You know, I think that, that might have been playing around in his head, but I think mostly He just allows people to have a conversation with him and invite them in to discuss their viewpoints. And I think it's a much easier way to communicate things because then you get to the bottom of how people are really feeling because she doesn't feel like he's going to blow his top or I think that it does create an environment that makes people more comfortable and willing to talk to Data about things. And yeah, it's just an important mother-son discussion to have. You've got to get that out in the open. And I'm really glad that she was able to let go of her guilt surrounding that. And such a nice healing moment, I think, for the both of them and for Data to Truly start to unravel more mysteries about his beginnings and things we were talking about in the beginning of this podcast where he has no memories of home, like he starts to develop them throughout.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Back to your point of how easily they're able to have that conversation because data. Will not have emotions and he will not scream at her or rage or even slam the door. He'll just hear her answer and accept it. And I think sometimes when you have really serious conversation between family members, emotion is a hindrance because sometimes the truth just has to be known about what has happened in the past. And for that moment, you have to put emotion aside and just be honest with who you are and honest with the person that you're trying to communicate with. And it can be so hard with family because there is so much baggage, which, you know, we talked a lot about in the last episode, that peeling all of it away is very difficult and it takes a lot of practice. (laughs) And so I think it was an interesting scene to watch because you knew that Data was not going to get angry. And he let his mother have her emotions and then they worked through that problem together and he revisits her statement again, which we already talked about. But I think the fact that they're able to push through it kind of in this logical (laughs) Vulcan way really, really helps to getting to the cause of the situation and the cause of her grief and helps her to begin to heal. And so I just think that there's a lot of value in maybe learning a little bit from data Absolutely.
1: I found another connection to be really interesting in the two of Data's biggest losses of family, which I would consider to be LOL and Noonien soon. Yeah. Uh, So there's a scene in both of those episodes. So in the episode The Offspring and the episode Brothers, I found that Data's solution to not being able to feel grief or love for a person, especially a member of his family. His thoughts on it are really beautiful because when Lol first is having her cascade failure, she says, I love you, father, and he says, I wish I could feel it. And she says, I'll feel it for the both of us. Um, you know, kills me every time. Catch me crying yeah. out here. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that episode probably upwards of ten times and I can never not cry when I see that scene. Then also data says to him when he's dying like i cannot grieve for you like you know this and i think that data's solutions to both are to keep their memories he actually transfers lol's memories into his own neural network I
0: that was really amazing yeah which is
1: incredible because he i think her. also yeah, exactly. Which is so cool. He probably got a glimpse of her own emotions. And even though maybe he wasn't able to feel them the way that she did, I think that he was able to understand her in a deeper level and then understand humanity in a deeper level. So, like, maybe she was better than him and that he achieved his goal of a parent. Also, with Soon, when he passes, Data talks a bit about how he's not. Truly gone because I hold his memories and like he's a part of me. And I think that it's a really great way of thinking about death and how, of course, it's easier to do that, easier said than done, and data doesn't have the type of emotions to be able to grieve in the ways that humans do or other species. But I think that his process is just as valid and just as interesting and impressive that he can use their memories as a way to remember them that I think a lot of us tend to reach towards when someone dies. We have our memories of them. And that's why I think at funerals, people stand up and talk about their favorite memories of a person because it brings everyone back to that moment. And I just really like to think of the idea of Data sometimes when he's sitting in his quarters thinking about looking at the empty screen, thinking about poetry. He's also thinking about how Lol experienced love and how she got to bartend. And I, don't, I just love so much about Data.
0: Yeah, I've really gained a lot more appreciation for Data while watching these episodes because I've always liked Data. I really appreciate him more and I see a lot more of myself in him than I ever have. And before we move on to talking a little bit more deeply about Lore, I also wanted to say in those two episodes that you brought up, Offspring and Brothers, I noticed that both Lull and Data asked their dads the same questions. And I thought that was so cute because Offspring, the episode, happens before brothers. And so I was wondering, because Lowell asked Data, why am I in this world? What is my purpose? Why did you create me? And those are, you know, basic questions, but they're the same thing that Data asks when he meets Soon for the first time. He's like, what is my purpose? Why did you create me? I think it's a very rare moment where you get to ask your father kind of god his god why (laughs) did you create me you know data is getting answers that we will never get we don't know why we're here (laughs) and you know but I think it's cool for Data to be able to talk to his dad in this way. And I think it's just so sad that, again, in both episodes, he loses them as well. Yeah, I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. I wondered if he was inspired by Lowell and the questions that that she had asked, or if he had always had these questions waiting if he ever met soon in real life.
1: Dang, my heart is so warm right now. I never even thought of that. That's a really great comparison. Thank you for pointing that out. I just thought it was cute. You
0: know who never asked those questions is Lore.
1: That mean guy. (laughs) Um, Yeah, how long do we have to unpack Lore? Because yikes. (laughs) I was talking to
0: Rihanna about this earlier. My take on Lore is I don't care about Lore. (laughs) i think he is just a two-dimensional character and every time we see him he never gets better (laughs) he's always lying he's always trying to trick data to get him on his side or he's trying to knock data out and take his parts away from him there's nothing redeeming about lore except that he's the evil twin brother that's my hot take i don't i don't know what do you think rihanna
1: So I do agree that the writing for Lore and way in which he's portrayed, he never gets better. And I don't like that there's no growth from him. His contribution as a character is way more towards Data's development than it was ever to Lore's. And I really like that about Lore. So we see in Data Lore when he's put back together and Data's starting to learn about Lore and talking to him. Data is acting like a younger sibling and I know this because I am a younger sibling where you're just like oh my god what are you doing today where are you going can we hang out (laughs) so I feel like that's exactly the vibe Data's giving off because he's so curious about Lore so excited to have family and Lore uses Data's desire to have a family to manipulate him and he uses Data's lack of emotions to impress him but also manipulate him and guess what later on in the other episodes he uses Data's hopes of being a human to manipulate him. So, I mean, I think his motives again and again are just to F with Data, wreck the world, not care about the consequences, but not in like a fun cue way. I think <laughs> the writing-wise as a villain, very mediocre. But I think that the growth we see in Data during each of Laura's appearances are so important because the first thing Data learns about these sort of quote-unquote blood families is that they will betray you. And that has got to be a horrible realization that he is trying to just create a sense of family with his brother, his newfound brother, and everyone immediately on the crew starts jumping in and saying, oh, he's your brother. They're assigning this word brother to him, which must give Data the sense of family for the first time to be called brother. Yes, he's starting to develop a friendship with Jordy, but this is really early on in season one. Like Ashlyn said earlier, not a ton of love for Data in the beginning of season one from any of the crew. Jordy's always been there and will always be there. <laughs> but I think that in this circumstance, brother is only a word used to manipulate and to further Lore's agenda with the Crystal Line Entity, with getting off off of the planet, with meeting with the Borg later on in Descent Part 2, with all of these certain circumstances, he is controlling Data through his deepest desires. He even says in Data Lore, he says, my brother, I toast our discovering of each other. May it fill our lives with new meaning. And it certainly did fill it with new meaning. Not great meaning, but like I think that it did teach data how family can not be all it's cracked up to be and can sometimes disappoint you. And it's sometimes hard to just say, oh, this person's my fill in the blank, brother, sister, mother, father. And just use that as a blanket for every excuse and for every way to get to somebody. And I think it cuts at where people are most vulnerable, including someone who doesn't have emotions. Because family goes further than emotions for Data. It is a sense of home, a sense of belonging, a sense of feeling more human. And so the episode Descent Part 2, when Lore is utilizing this emotion chip to control Data's emotions so that he could control his actions surrounding capturing his friends and almost torturing Jordy, Like there's these horrible moments where we see Data being controlled by his quote unquote brother, you know, and they never stop calling each other brother. And I think that it's a little bit hard for me to watch because family is such an easy target for so many villains. I mean, that's sort of a trope is like all of kidnap your mother and then you will do as I please.
0: (laughs) I'm going to kill mother's name, Martha. (laughs)
1: So family makes us very vulnerable in that way, regardless of if we have emotions or not, it's still a place that hits deeply. And so I think in this way, Data is discovering what family truly is versus what it's sort of painted to be. And I think that through lore, he discovers where his true family lies are in people like Picard, who will stand up for him, Geordi, who will listen to him, and Geordi will help him get this proton ray that like got into him so that he could have like, yeah, a vision. That's a Let's great stand. episode. So good, right? With Dr. Bashir, too. Yeah, amazing. Like, they have this whole moment where Jordi's like, this could hurt you, and Data's like, I need to know. And so Jordy just says, okay, let's do it. He's Same there... thing that Data did during Interface. Exactly. I'm so glad you brought that up, because I think it shows that Data is having to do a lot of discovering about his family. He does it with LOL. He does it as he's getting to know the crew more. And he learns about Klingon rituals so that he can help Worf with his anniversary. There's so many things that I think are essential about family and like you help them in these certain ways. And I think that lore taught him what family isn't and what family can pretend to be. I don't know. I think that is the true value of lore.
0: I loved hearing your dissertation
1: and I'm (laughs) so
0: excited to go to your graduation (laughs) and for you to get your major of data.
1: (laughs) Yeah. A hundred page thesis coming your way next summer. <laughs> I'm ready to read it. <laughs> uh, the purpose of lore is what it's called. <laughs> uh, I'm now totally on board
0: with everything you said. I still think lore is annoying. Oh and yeah. Pointless. Agreed. But I definitely agree. And I think you're totally correct with why he's in these stories. You can even tell by the way he says brother
1: all the time. You know, he's not a good guy. Yeah, he threatened to like slaughter Wesley in the first episode. (laughs) not a good guy (laughs) oh
0: you never forget that also in descent he is controlling data like he's been giving him meth or something because the way that data reacts when lore takes away some of data's emotions he acts like an addict like he lost his fix and he'll do anything for more
1: Mm -hmm. very cardassian of him he would do well on cardassia i think i mean he's friends with the borg you know
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's true. What more do you need? (laughs) I think that is definitely a hindrance that the Enterprise crew was telling him, it's your brother, Data, and forcing him to assign that role to Lore, even though they barely knew each other. That was, I think, a very damaging moment because we all have our reasons for having certain family members in our life. And I know he didn't know Lore that well, but I feel like if I had just met a family member, for the first time I'm not going to call them that right away Mm-mm. I'm going to kind of proceed with caution because you don't know who they are <laughs> and just because they're related by blood doesn't mean that you're going to be close to them for the rest Absolutely. of your life and so I think that was definitely not the right move to make for the crew <laughs> in the movie Nemesis we see Ugh. is this Data's other brother? Can you remind so- me what's going on here?
1: So this is wild. I mean, I don't want to, but I will because this is a horrible movie and I don't want to talk about it, but I will because it's very data heavy. The only part that I want to focus on is the beginning where we are on Omicron Theta and we see that there's this like, it's just like body parts in the sand. It's pretty awful. I don't really understand a lot of it. Yeah, I, I don't want to get into how messy the plot of Nemesis is, so I'm not going to get out of that soapbox right now. But I will just say that when we were watching the episode Inheritance with Data's mother, she had talked about the failed prototypes. There's three others before they created lore. Before? Thank you. <laughs> I didn't even realize. Before you. Exactly. And so. My understanding is that B4 is one of those failed prototypes. He didn't live very long after this. And he has very basic motor skills, very basic cognitive skills, way behind even where Lol was in her first two weeks. And so I think that, that was an interesting little reference that they did in the series that I'm wondering if the writers were sort of scrolling through all the data episodes as we did and being like, hmm, can we add another Android that's not lore into the mix? And so that, I think that's where B4 was created. But as a plot device, I think it was mostly to hit home all of the nostalgic parts of the next generation and of data as a character, because as we know, data sacrifices himself in this movie. And so it's a very data heavy plot. And so they needed to have soon brought up again. They needed to have these other androids brought up again. And before was a clever way of making a character, Not very significant for very long, but just significant enough to advance another character. And I think that's all that B4 was made for, sadly.
0: That makes sense. I I agree with you. I think he was just an earlier version, a younger sibling. Yeah. Uh, Before we move on to our last couple characters here... I just want to give a shout out to Brent Spiner because Mm -hmm. Brent Spiner is the whole Soon family except the mom. It's
1: literally. Yeah, literally. (laughs) I think we do forget sometimes. I certainly do, especially when he's playing Soon and he has all that not very great age makeup on. I completely forget that he is still Brent Spiner. And even as Lore, it feels different. Like his acting and his presence in the scene feels really different. I'm sorry, I stole your thunder. I just felt very excited about Brent no,
0: no, that's That's why I wanted to bring him up. I knew you'd get excited. <laughs> <laughs> I also I thought just two episodes, just to kind of shout out for his acting is the episode brothers where it's basically the three of them the whole time down on this jungle planet. And it's very difficult to tell. I mean, obviously, in looks, it's the same actor, but he does such a tremendous job of separating their three personalities in such a quick sh- amount of time. Just a lot of skill. And then I also loved him in Descent because we see data with all these negative emotions and it's not quite lore the way he plays it. It's definitely just data with negative emotions and that is hard. That's very nuanced acting and so I don't like Brent Spiner really Mm-mm. as a human at all. Nah. I think he's terrible. <laughs> And I think, honestly, a lot of these subplots that we get that are all about Data are because he asked the writers to keep writing about him, which makes Mm -hmm. sense. Data is written to be the Spock of the next generation. Mm -hmm. And Spock, you know, is biggest Star Trek character of all time. So I know we have a lot of these stories because of Brent Spiner and his ego, which okay but hey we have a whole
1: family very shatner-esque yeah
0: (laughs) we have a wonderful data family that we got to talk about today so i just i do want to shout out to brent spiner for
1: making it happen thanks man okay ashlyn on that note would you like to turn to some of the greatest sisters in history that aren't us so we've arrived to actually talk about our namesake of this podcast The Duras
0: sisters, here we go. (laughs) There is not a lot to talk about with them because they don't appear too often in Star Trek, but when they do, it's always a riot, isn't it? (laughs) Always. So we first learn about the family of Duras in the episode, The Sins of the Father, where Worf's father has been accused of betraying the Klingon Empire by giving away secrets to the Romulan empire. So Worf challenges this claim and the person he's challenging is Duros, they just, I think that's all they call him. Is yeah. Duras. He doesn't even have a first name, but mm-hmm. he is the brother of the Duras sisters. And he is at this point the current leader of, of the house of Duras. And we know that his father had already passed away. And we know that his father was the traitor. It wasn't Moog. It was Daddy Duras, <laughs> which was no surprise to me. Every time that Duras brother is on film. He's terrible. I hate him. Yeah, he's (laughs) awful. He's full of worst. Even Lursa and Bator say to Picard in one of these later episodes, oh, forget about our brother. He's dead. We already have. (laughs) And that's how I feel when I meet him and Worf actually kills him. He
1: does full murder him. You're correct. (laughs) He murders him in Redemption, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Full murder. No, 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 no. Wait, it was in the one with Kalar.
0: Oh, yeah I'm sorry. Reunion.
1: Reunion. Yes. He murders him in the reunion episode. I gotta say a quick side note every single Klingon episode has a very similar name so if we mess up and say the wrong episode don't crucify us they all are like honor or like redemption or the son the father. <laughs> so, and this is weird to say because they're Klingons that family is not the biggest importance to them which in Klingon culture, family is an intrinsic part of society. Like you are judged off of your father's sins or triumphs. You're judged off of your grandfather, you know. And so, down these generations, I think that, first of all, it's great that we have a family series to talk about Klingons, that Wharf is such an intrinsic part. And also great that we get to talk about these sisters who sort of disregard family besides the two of them. Like I feel like the sisters themselves are extremely close. We never see one without the other. I can't even think of a time where one was even like a step behind the other. They're always right next to each other. I feel like I'm more of a Lursa but like you know. (laughs) (laughs) I also just want to say that yes they're baddies and yes like they're not supposed to be likable but I think that Besides that, they are Klingon women still trying to make their way up this patriarchal ladder. And you got to have respect for that because they're just two sisters trying to rule a world. And, you know, like, fair enough.
0: What more can you ask for? Yeah. They're characters that I love to hate. Anytime yes. they're on the screen, I'm groaning, but I know I'm going to have a damn good time. Because they're funny, they're entertaining, they're randomly sexy. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's amazing. A couple of things I got from rewatching these episodes. One being that when we are waiting for Gowron's installation as the new head of the council the Duras sisters since their brother is killed they are the heads of the family and we know they're searching frantically for some <laughs> random male heir which is very game of thronesian yeah i got i get a lot of game of thrones from the klingon I should say I get a lot of Klingon energy from Game of Thrones. They are the ones running the council. They're running the House of Duras, the whole thing. And I think it's a part of this new wave of female Klingon rebellion that we're seeing. And I also see it in Worf's mate, Kalar, too, because she does not care about Klingon tradition. And I know she's half human and half Klingon, Mm
1: -hmm. but
0: we know characters like Bolana who are half Klingon and she's Mm -hmm. very, very engulfed in the culture. I see that Kalar is also resisting these norms and I think they're norms that are Continue traditions of the Klingon males. I think that the mentality of being a Klingon, to be a warrior, to be tough, is similar to asking a man to be a man, to man up, to Mm -hmm. be strong, be tough, don't cry. It's the same thing. And this culture is very, very significant to Klingons, and it's how they function. Their system of honor is what keeps everything together. And it's passed down over and over again. But I think like some of these women we see, like the Dura sisters and Kalar are not into it anymore and they're not believing it. And they're saying, well, I'm going to go about this my own way that doesn't involve this. And I'm still going to have a great life. I know we, we know the Dura sisters
1: end up dead in generations,
0: but <laughs> you know, they, they had a great life. <laughs>
1: they had a good go of it and they died in battle, which is what they would have wanted. So they
0: had an honorable death. Absolutely. They're definitely
1: yeah. going to Stovacor. Like uh, they're screaming up there right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I loved literally everything you said. I was just like nodding vigorously along because I completely agree. I do love seeing their, Bond, the two sister bond, you know, they're very great at teaming together. They have a little bit of bickering, but it's mostly about like ways to do things, you know, and mostly it's yelling at whatever man's in the room trying to dictate what they're doing, which I love. I love that energy. (laughs) And I don't know, I just. I do love to see a good sibling bond because Ashley and I are so close. You know, it's fun to see it on screen where they really just play off each other very well. And I think they're just icons in this entire series if you've seen next generation you really do remember the dora sisters and yeah they're just super important figures even if you only
0: remember them for their boobs they're still important (laughs) i mean those are pretty great boobs
1: so they did it either way (laughs) they're still in your memory
0: (laughs) when i was younger watching the next generation for the first time every time they were on screen that's the only thing i could think was
1: oh the boob ladies are back (laughs) I'm pretty sure we called them that at some point. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's Lursa or someone gets pregnant at the end. So like, good for her, you know, like she's having a baby. Yeah. Yeah. We're able to continue that line. We don't know anything about it, but yeah, we know that she is pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. So anywho, I think this is a perfect transition into Wharf.
0: Oh. My son.
1: <laughs> yeah, Ashlyn, are you ready to talk about Worf?
0: <laughs> I love Worf. I, I don't want to say he's an underrated character because he's not, but Worf is the most underrated character.
1: <laughs> yes, I think that you're absolutely right. And I think that we've been saying it for years and Michael Dorn has been saying it for years, but where is our Worf solo spinoff show? I where is seen it? I have Michael
0: Dorn at a convention say that He's been asking people to make a Captain Wharf show for years. He's like, I'm ready. The fans are ready. Where's where is, is it? And I have been thinking about this every day for 10
1: years. Well, and Ashlyn, I even saw him at a different convention, like a year later, saying the same thing. I feel like it's time. But anyway.
0: <laughs> I'm sure Alex Kurtman isn't busy doing anything else. So No, he's
1: not making any shows right now, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so where do you want to begin with Mr. Wharf? So Worf, you know,
0: like we mentioned with Data, he also is an orphan that was found by Starfleet. And his parents were murdered in the Khitabur Massacre, which happened during the Klingon War when Worf was born. I believe he was only one or two.
1: He was old enough to remember a little bit because that guy later on said he like hurt his arm trying to fight this beast. So I think he was probably around like five or six, probably a little bit older when Alexander first met him. But
0: sure, I made me think about Alexander because he was three mm-hmm. when his mother was killed. But that's for five minutes <laughs> from now. So Worf is young, and he ends up being taken by Starfleet back to Earth, where he's adopted by two Russian parents. And they... Just try to give him the best life possible. In the episode Family, we meet Helena and Sergei. And they're two very wholesome people. And they seem like really good parents. They have great conversations with Guinan during that episode. And Helena talks about how she learned to cook traditional Klingon dishes just for Worf. And they treated him like a Klingon his whole life and let him become who he was going to become. I love seeing good, wholesome parents. Parents on Star Trek. And this time, none of them even die.
1: <laughs> Whoa! What a concept! Yeah!
0: <laughs> I just love meeting them. I thought it was great. So now to go back a little bit to Sense of the Father, on the Klingon side, Worf's father was accused of being a traitor, as we mentioned a couple minutes ago. And basically, Worf challenges this claim, which he doesn't have to, but he does because he says he wants to clear his father's name and because his brother has appeared to him. For the first time. Worf had no idea he even had a brother. But because on Kittimer, it turns out that he survived. His name is Kern. And he was just taken back to Kronos. And no one ever told him that he had a brother. Neither of them knew about each other or anything. No
1: communication. (laughs) Right. And I cannot tell you how glad I am that we are doing The data and wharf episode in the same one because their upbringings are so similar you did just say this but i also with the brothers you know i mean it starts from both of them are on such a discovery of family and i just absolutely love that about the two of these characters is to see how they handle discovering family members just all over the galaxy differently and how they handle it in the same way. Because <laughs> it's not your everyday thing where you just like meet a brother you never knew about. But for these Star Trek characters, it very much is. And it happens quite a lot. So true, Rihanna. Yeah. <laughs> you have,
0: oh, it's my Andorian sister. <laughs> yeah, I never knew about, you know. Yeah, sure. um,
1: what did you think of Kern when we first meet him in this episode? So I completely forgot about Kern. If I'm <laughs> honest... Back in the day when I was a middle schooler watching The Next Generation, I did not like any of the Klingon episodes. I thought they were extremely boring. I could not keep up with the plots. I think honestly, even for my middle school brain, I was not kind of ready for the politics and everything that goes into just like Klingon culture in general. And so I had blocked out so many of these Worf episodes and mostly just remembered his great one liners, which is fine. This is another thing I love about rewatching Star Trek for the pod is that I get to understand these characters in different ways, which is to say that I really liked Kern. I thought that he was very down to earth, very much makes sense that him and Worf are related and they're both the son of Moog because they both have very similar qualities and yet they are also vastly different and something that they talk about later on the Dora sisters actually use to their advantage to try and get Worf on their side is that the differences between him and Kern. But I think that Kern is very much your average Klingon. You know, he's not this exceptional above and beyond warrior, but he's also not like this lagging behind puny warrior. Like he's right in the sweet spot of having his ship and having his crew and commanding it with honor and respect and he can be a little sassy and hard to understand especially Worf coming from a perspective of Starfleet and like being around humans for so long it's a different way to establish yourself but I thought that it was really cool that he chose to stand by Worf and that he adhered to various customs depending on the situation like he's called upon on this little exchange program where he gets to be the first officer which I absolutely love they've Klingon exchange programs like where can I sign up (laughs) Um, and he's this very commanding very blunt first officer and Worf says on this ship you are my commanding officer but when we will be on Kronos I am your older brother and you will respect me and he uh, Kern does not even debate that which Ashlyn that is not an excuse to start saying that to me because it's not gonna fly but with Klingon customs like the oldest male sibling is the uh leader of the house especially if the father is gone which is very much like old Greek and Roman societies man but anyway,
0: as well yeah in yep. Chinese culture
1: yeah totally so then they go down on this planet and Kern chooses to be Worf's Chadich, which is sort of his second. If Worf is to die in this challenge, they sort of are like all in it together. But no one else knows that Kern is the son of Moog. So there's like very complicated things going on. And Worf, being a great older brother with a mix of Klingon and human values, says to Kern, You will not tell anyone of your heritage because he doesn't want him to die with him if that is how this challenge ends up going. So I think that there's a lot of honor and loyalty and respect coming from the two of them, even though they just met. And that's something I really like about Klingon culture is the instant sort of respect and trust you have for people until they show you that you can't trust them. And I don't know. I think that in a way, I wish that I had more of that mentality of innocent until proven guilty, you know, instead of automatically assuming people are the worst. I kind of wish I could, like, trust them first until they let me down, <laughs> you know? Anyway. I love
0: Kern. I'm just going to put it out right now. Yeah. I love Kern. I think Kern is awesome. And – so I think part of the reason they get along so well together once they know that they're brothers is because they had completely different lives growing up, but they have this very powerful shared experience from early in their lives, and no one else except Data can understand them. Yeah, <laughs> or you know, yeah, uh, Michael Burnham,
1: Star Trek archetypes can't understand. But <laughs> seven
0: of nine, Wesley Crusher, it's okay. <laughs>
1: yeah. I think that they
0: are able to connect so quickly because they they know they're orphans and they had previously thought that they were the only sons of Moog yeah, around anymore. Perfect. And so I think it's different with Lore because Lore was lying right away and he yeah. was being horrible and deceitful and... I mean, obviously, Lore did not have good intentions, but with Kern, he's not trying to deceive Worf. He's trying to test Worf Mm
1: -hmm. because
0: he wants to know how much he can trust him and just who he is. He wants to see what kind of man he is when they're on the Enterprise together, what kind of Klingon he is, just to get a gauge of who he is. And so I think it's awesome that Kern is a first officer on his ship. I love that later we see in the seasons, he becomes captain and he has a tiny fleet that he commands because he is really influential within these houses later. Worf's name is cleared in Sins of the Father. He is dishonor on you, dishonor on your cow. <laughs> yeah, a little move on in there for you. Worf is totally dishonored. He's the son of none, and it's very sad for Worf. But then he gets his honor back in, in this later episode. Ooh. And uh, yeah, woo. <laughs> I <think laughs> and I love seeing that Kern he's so influential. He's like an Instagram influencer. (laughs) He has all of these friends who have their own ships too. And he's able to kind of control parts of the political specter just because of what he's doing on the outside. And so I think that him and Worf are a really good team because he's on the home world, keeping his family connected to the Klingon culture, while Worf is free to run around with Starfleet and do whatever he wants to do and live his life and be iconic in a different way. And so I just love seeing how the character of Kern morphs into this really powerful brotherhood that they have, even though they don't see each other that often. That's also the goodness of Klingon culture too, is it doesn't matter where you are or the last time I saw you or what's going on, you're my brother, you will always be my brother and I will kill for you, not die for you, I will kill for you.
1: (laughs) Yes. Wow. Thank you for saying all of that. I'm like blown away. You're here to tell me about Lore. I'm here to tell you about (laughs) Kern. (laughs) Yeah. And here I am literally back here thinking about the comparison between Lore and Kern. The fact that I think is the fundamental difference is that Lore always felt overshadowed by Data and lesser. And Kern feels like his relationship with Worf is a challenge to better each other instead of putting one down for the other to be better. Yes. Kern does follow these brotherly hierarchy thing. You know, he does listen to Worf when Wharf is like, Hey, I'm the older brother. We're going to do it my way kind of thing. But he also challenges him to grow and to like take a night off every once in a while And I just love that. And I think that's a much more effective way of having a family and living with these different family dynamics is not to put one over the other, but to challenge each other to be better every day. And I love that about Worf and Kern is I think you're absolutely right, like no matter where they are. I think that Worf probably thinks a lot about Kern and some of his decisions, you know, because they want to honor each. That's so special about Klingon culture is that, yes, it can be very tricky and hard to be in an honor-shame society because so much is stacked on honor. But when those around you, your family, people who are close to you have that honor and you all lift each other up, it's really inspiring.
0: Well, and I also think it's about having the best name possible for the family mm-hmm. because if your family is in good standing, that's great. That's like the equivalent of going to a Walgreens and saying, "Oh, you're like five dollars short," but the cashier's like, "Oh, you're your Moog son. Go ahead, you know? <laughs> I'll cover you this time." You know, the sons of Moog never lie, and the sons of Wharf never lie. <laughs>
1: Ashland, I love that you use a modern reference because I was going to go like way back into Roman to grab a reference and you're like, no, Walgreens. Fine. I got you. Yeah, it's great.
0: Um, In the two-parter episode, Redemption, Worf leaves Starfleet because he knows that at this point, it is more important for him to be with his family than it is for him to further his career. And I'm kind of thinking that Worf believed this to be a permanent change Mm. because the way that they say goodbye to Worf in that episode is really heart-wrenching. The whole crew lines up on the side of the hallways and they all give him the most honorable goodbye to the Mm -hmm. ship. I think that was really special. And so then to see him in this new role on a Klingon ship, he is a fantastic tactical officer and he does probably have as much command experience as Kern does. And so it's interesting to see them interacting on the ship together because Worf's trying to hold back his really good suggestions because he's trying to honor his brother's position as being the higher ranking officer. And so that dichotomy is really fun to watch. I love seeing Worf put in these different roles and seeing him just ace them every single time. In that same episode, later, the coin is turned and he says, you will follow me, brother, even if you don't like Gowron, which we talked about before, but it's just important that Worf pulled rank. Yeah, family worrying. We don't see him do that very often. And he's using this culture to his advantage because he's privileged to be the older brother because he can make those big, tough decisions for the family and Kern can't complain at all. That's how Moog's name is restored, is they prove that Duras was the traitor <laughs> in this episode. I think it's really good for Worf to be among Klingons for so long in this episode because, and Kern calls him out, you've been amongst humans for too long. You've lost your sense of self. And Worf at one point says, I do hear the cry of the warrior. Yes, <laughs> and I just feel that, do that too. <laughs> I love seeing Worf take a night off, as you said. And I love seeing Kern having a drink with his enemies. I think it's great that when the war is off for the day, people of both sides go to the bar and they drink together, all as brothers. And I think it helps kind of lower the stakes of these rivaling houses. And it gives you a sense because this is always what we hear about with Klingons is there's wars between the factions of the houses and the councils breaking up because the families are fighting and all of this stuff. But what really gives me hope is seeing all these Klingons at the same bar all getting smacked together and then, you know, picking up ladies, too. It really makes me happy that they're not really taking this that seriously.
1: Because death is not the most serious thing to them. And that's, I think, why the stakes of war are less on their shoulders and they're not holding it as heavily because if you die in battle that's the most honorable way to go so might as well drink with your enemies the night before because either way if you lose the battle but you die honorably you're great you're good to go so i think that's so true ashlyn and such a distinguishable element of the klingon culture versus like what we see with romulans which is why it makes it so much harder that Romulans are pulling the strings behind a lot of these Doros negotiations. Well, I think this is the perfect time to briefly insert
0: one family member we have not advertised, but we will discuss very briefly, is Yar's daughter right from the past is in these episodes. In the episode Yesterday's Enterprise, we find out that Tasha Yar was sent back in time by Picard because he knew that she was going to die in his timeline. And so he said, stay in the past and you can have a life here at least. And so in that life, it was maybe worse than how she actually died. She was taken captive by a Romulan basically forcibly taken forced to marry him and Mm -hmm. forced to bear a child for him and that is who is working with the duras sisters is
1: sila yeah yeah and obviously
0: it's kind of a confusing plot device to get her back in here i appreciated seeing denise crosby again Mm-hmm. in this episode starring as sila but i just felt even worse for yar because that's the worst way to go out is yeah a, and then she ends up dying because she's trying to run away and see with her says, daughter yeah with her daughter and sila does not understand and just remembers her as a traitor yeah <laughs> it's pretty
1: awful i'd rather get eaten by goo
0: oh i'd much rather get eaten by goo yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: well something
0: that's not yikes and will make you smile is Worf's son.
1: So Ashlyn, you and I were talking a bit about how entrenched families are in tradition of Klingon culture and how you have to stand up and honor your family. And I think that for the most part, this works great. But if there are any Klingons who are not willing to adhere as much to the Klingon ways or not really in the same sphere as some other Klingons, it's going to be really difficult. And I think that we see this very plainly with Worf's son, Alexander, who comes into the mix when Kalar, who we spoke of earlier, brings him on the ship and pretty much just announces to Worf that way by beaming two aboard instead of one, (laughs) which is a pretty ballsy move, considering that's the introduction to your child. But I think that in Alexander, we see differences of how people who don't adhere to their culture. It's a really good representation, I think, of those who feel on the outside of whatever culture or society or family they live in and feel like the quote-unquote black sheep of the family. And I think that Alexander is a perfect example of that.
0: What I love about Alexander is he doesn't mind being the black sheep because he likes hanging out with his human friends. And he doesn't want to only be friends with Klingons. He's happy to live his life the way that he wants, following the values that his mother taught him. And as we mentioned earlier, her values, there's not so much of an emphasis on the Klingon culture. I think she even calls it Klingon stuff. (laughs) Yeah. So when Worf grew up on Earth, I think all he had left of his past and of his parents was the memory of learning all of the Klingon values and traditions and probably things that his father taught him growing up. And he's learning about it in school, like in human school. I'm sure they talk about this is our perspective of Klingons and how they work. And so I believe that Worf created an image of what he thinks Klingon should be in his mind, but the more that we see him interacting with real Klingons, he's realizing that's not who they are. The Klingons are way more complex and nuanced than what he's previously believed. And I think it is beautiful to see him realize that through raising Alexander and through going to different <laughs> Klingon holidays. I think it's really amazing to see this transition happening for Worf and how he strives to find the balance between really honoring his culture in an extreme way versus in a way that's healthy and good for Alexander as well.
1: Yes. Wow. Thank you. I love everything you said about that. And I do think that Worf does grow significantly during the time when Alexander is on the ship. I think that his transition into becoming a father is so abrupt and that is why it takes a while for him to truly understand his son and it takes these moments of struggle so there's a quote when he's talking about alexander in the episode new ground in his personal log he says i find that i would rather fight 10 balduck warriors than face one small child and i think that's very true for him he will take on any ship problem any Klingon on problem with ease, but when it comes to bearing his soul and becoming vulnerable for his son and being in a space to parent in a way that he doesn't know how or is not prepared for is going to be really difficult and I do have a lot of empathy for Worf in these episodes where he's learning to be a father, but it's also frustrating for me to watch because I think I put Worf on such a pedestal of he's this strong warrior, Michael Dorn's an amazing actor, like he's got so many amazing traits that I think the writing's genius to put him in a- a place where he is more vulnerable and not doing as well you know he's not being a super great father because he doesn't know how and because he's learning as anyone learns when they're becoming a parent to their first child especially a single parent anyway i do have a lot of respect for Worf, but it, these scenes are hard to watch when he's just yelling at alexander and not giving him space to grow and one thing i'll just add is that i'm glad that he has crew members who can help guide him just like with data and lol troy can also help to guide and say like oh have you talked to alexander about going to klingon school and he says no i told him and he will obey me and as Ashlyn beautifully said as each episode goes on he starts to learn more once again,
0: we have uh, another single parent raising a child similar to Wesley and Beverly okay. and their relationship. And I just once again, I have to say that it's really great that this type of father son relationship gets portrayed on Star Trek because there are single dads who find themselves totally alone with a kid maybe they didn't know they had. It's a huge learning curve to figure out how to interact with kids, how to tell them anything that sticks in their brain. And I, again, love how Troy is interacting between them between the two of them trying to develop it into a more healthy relationship because Alexander could have some serious trauma this is a very insane childhood where he goes from being the son of an ambassador like very you know well respected ambassador who doesn't really celebrate any klingon holidays or do anything culturally she doesn't participate in the culture to go from living on a starship with a father who's extremely strict and extremely religious i just have a lot of love for alexander i think that in the first couple episodes where we see alexander he has no acting at all he just says yes father Yeah, (laughs) john paul stewart As the actor develops, so then does Alexander. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, as a character. (laughs) I love seeing his transformation from being this lying thief, basically, to someone who's not afraid to be honest with Worf and be completely open with him. And even though they fight sometimes, they know that they're going to always be family in the end. And I really love seeing their relationship develop through the series.
1: Yeah, and I think those moments when they are taken back to realize that they are family are again seen in moments of danger. And I think that it's so transformative for them in this episode, New Ground, where Worf is attempting to raise Alexander on the ship because his mother and father could not take care of him anymore. There's this fire in one of the rooms that Alexander is in, and essentially he's going to die if they don't get to him in about three minutes. And I love seeing Worf in this scene because he just gets his protective skin on. And he's like those moms who lift cars off of their kids. Like he (laughs) gains the strength to lift this pillar off Alexander when him and Riker combined couldn't do it. But when Alexander said he's scared, Worf just goes into full dad mode and just like lifts it off. And I don't know, it just really reminded me of how in those moments of crisis, really all of that other stuff feels so unimportant and so not worth being a part on. And I do love though that Worf is still very on his values. He stays true to that type of parenting because even when Alexander's in sick bay, he's like, am I in trouble, dad? And he's like, yeah, like you are in trouble, but we're not going <laughs> to talk about it right now. Like, he's like, that's not what's important right now. And I think it's such a great growing moment for the two of them. And I just do love to see that this great betrayal of single fathers, because for a while our dad was raising us as a single father. Like, we went off and on between our dad and mom's house. And so I just have such respect for these men who are in these roles of parenting children and just seeing how wonderfully each the parent and the child navigates those different spaces. And also to see Worf make sacrifices for Alexander and also to make compromises for him. And I do love to see that side of Worf, the softer on the edges guy. I think that scene is tremendous.
0: That's one of my favorite moments with Worf when he lifts that pillar off Alexander. Also because disasters like what happens on the Enterprise don't occur all the time, but we have our localized (laughs) disasters where something goes wrong and we have to rely on someone. And I think it is so telling because Worf cannot say how he feels very easily and neither can Alexander. Yet after this event, it's no question to each of them that they love each other very, very deeply. And I think for Alexander, it was a very important moment because he hasn't seen Worf be very affectionate at all towards Mm -hmm. him. As Alexander says, my dad hates me and I hate him. Mm. And so to see Worf really come through for him is a very important moment. And, you know, trial by fire sometimes is the only way to get through
1: something. Absolutely. yeah. I also do want to talk briefly about this season seven episode, the last one with Alexander of uh, TNG, Firstborn. And this is another wonderful father-son episode with a crazy twist that Alexander from the future has come back to try to convince Alexander from the past to be tougher, follow the ways of a warrior, not become a peacekeeper it ends up killing Worf and he sees Worf die in his arms and so he's come back in time to either teach Alexander to become a warrior or kill him and so these are very high stakes for this traveling Alexander and an amazing device to help Worf see Alexander in a light he's never seen him before. I didn't remember this episode at all, and I was just so blown away by we see the protectiveness of both of them for each other. I mean, Alexander came from the future so that he could try to save his father's life, while Worf, he's worried that he's going to die in battle and not have the skills to protect himself. You know, that's really what it comes down to. He's not worried about his honor. He's worried about Alexander feeling shame for a lack of honor because he knows what that feels like. And he knows what it was like to be the son of none. And so he's trying to protect Alexander from that same life. Like we were talking about earlier, he's trying to better himself through Alexander. I find this episode so beautiful in a way that helps to reconcile the reasons why they're both acting these ways.
0: I thought it was a beautiful conclusion to the Alexander arc they had been building. Obviously in season seven, they were trying to wrap up, you know, we see the end of Wesley. Literally the episode before this. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. So (laughs) they're leaving all over. (laughs) It's tying up loose ends part of the season. Honestly, I was thinking about Dragon Ball Z for you Dragon Ball Z fans. This is a Trunks moment (laughs) where he comes to the future. Um, Uh, to meet his dad. Anyway, I thought it was a really, really beautiful episode, and you said most of the thoughts I was thinking about it. As the episode goes on, it's revealed that adult Alexander is totally in panic mode about this situation. Like what you said, he is either going to kill Alexander or force him to get strong enough to kill someone else for the future. It's just so evident how deeply terrified he is and regretful of everything that he's done in his life. But when Mm -hmm. War finds out that he's a peacekeeper, he is awed by him and he... So respects his choice and he's so proud of everything that he's accomplished. That's a great moment because it's just a good reminder for Alexander that Worf would have loved to die in honor, obviously. So I'm sure Worf's in Stovercourt is super psyched yeah, to totally. die this way. But also that no matter what he does, he's gonna love him. And I think if anything, this episode reminds present day Worf to give Alexander that love, even if it's not the best way for Worf to show love. He has to show Alexander a little bit more kindness going forward. And we're going to talk about more in the D Space Nine episode because we do see Alexander appear later, mm-hmm. and I I'm excited to delve deeper into that. Every episode, similar with the watching all the Data episodes in order, watching all these Klingon episodes in order, and seeing Worf become. This flawless Klingon, the more that we go on. I am so excited to continue watching him in Deep Space Nine with this knowledge that I have to see who else he can become because he's already perfect in my
1: eyes. (laughs) Oh, what a king. Yeah, I love him. So, what Worf says to the older Alexander in this episode is that his greatest honor would be for you to accept yourself as you are and stay true to what you believe. The course of peace is. A just course. The struggle must continue. And I think that this is such a lovely gift to Alexander. Worf realizes exactly what he needs to say to Alexander. And he th- thanks his son for opening his eyes to that and to show him that he probably changed the future after all just by coming back and showing Worf mm-hmm. for, like, exactly like Spock did in yesteryear. Just showed up as Selick and it was like, be kinder to your son. Peace. (laughs) Sometimes you just need a little time
0: travel to remind the dads to be nice to their (laughs) sons. So let's wrap up this podcast by talking about a family that begins in the next generation and greatly expands in DS9. That's right. I'm talking about the (laughs) O'Briens.
1: Keiko and Miles. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I am very glad that we ended with them because we will be beginning with Keiko and Miles in our Deep Space Nine episode coming up next week and pretty much just following their timeline in the Deep Space Nine universe. But for now, we only really get a little glimpse in the episode Data's Day and then the episode Disaster where they get married and then are having a child. We
0: mostly see O'Brien. We know him as the Chief O'Brien. He's the transporter operator and he sometimes joins them on the bridge. His wife or his, you know, girlfriend, Keiko is a botanist aboard the Enterprise and they meet it, they have a rocky relationship, and even the day of the wedding, Keiko gets cold feet and says that she doesn't want to get married. Of course, they end up chasing their mind, and they do get married and have a quite lovely wedding. I would die to get married on the Enterprise. Yeah,
1: from saying. Picard being the initiate. Like, and Picard go. initiating
0: the <laughs> wedding. Yeah. <laughs>
1: every episode we see them in, we see them in some sort of argument or disagreement. And I think it's kind of selfish of both Keiko and Miles to have Data be this in between man for them, because it shows, I think, a lack of trust in each other. And Data even has a quote in this episode, he's talking to Counselor Troy, and he says, Chief O'Brien talks to me, Keiko talks to you. Why do they not talk to each other? And I'm asking myself this question when I see Keiko and Miles together. Why are they not talking to each other and instead going to others to complain about each other? I feel like it's a tough relationship, but also it's sort of at the end of the day they love each other yeah I think they
0: are an example of opposites attracting where it's this very fiery relationship but in the end they have the same values and they make a decent couple together I think when they're able to really be honest with their feelings they're a pretty great power couple and they even choose to have a baby aboard the Enterprise and Molly is born thanks to Worf he helps her uh, give birth during that episode they're definitely an interesting couple and they're they're definitely one to
1: watch (laughs) in the future absolutely i mean a baby born into a crisis father wasn't there for the birth like you've got to stick around for this So yeah, we will be diving deeper into them. And I can't wait to talk about their dynamic more in our upcoming episode featuring the families of Deep Space Nine.
0: With these family episodes, there's so much to talk about. And we want to make sure we have a really thorough experience (laughs) for all of you. And so if it has to be two parts, then it has to be. And we will announce it. So stay tuned. Keep an eye on our social media. And hopefully you will enjoy that episode.
1: Yes, Ashlyn. Thank you today for potting with me and for being my chadich on this journey. You will always be my chadich, Rihanna. (laughs) Every day.
0: (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Dura Sisters podcast. Please join us next week for the fourth episode of the family series, which will be part one of the familiar relationships of Deep Space Nine including characters like the O'Briens, the House of Moog, the Siskos, Bishir, and the Daxes. Please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and check to see if we posted a suggested watch list for the upcoming episode. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, please give us five stars and leave a comment. If you would like to become a patron, please go to patreon.com slash the Dura Sisters podcast. Any amount per month will get you access to exclusive episodes of trivia between Ashlyn and Rihanna and reviews of season one of Lower Decks. Our email is podcast at gmail.com. Our intro, Klingon Battle, was written by Jerry Goldsmith. Our outro, Wars Revenge, was written by Arilo Voltaire. What did O'Brien say when Keiko kept fussing over their daughter? Stop Molly coddling her!